Hi, everybody. Dick Vitale. Hey, make sure you listen, man, to Lockdown Blue Devils with J.J. Jackson. He's awesome, baby. You are Locked On Blue Devils, your daily podcast on the Duke Blue Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Blue Devils podcast. My name is J.J. Jackson. It's so great to have you here with us on today's show. It's Friday, July 8th, 2022, and we've got a lot to discuss in the world of Duke athletics. Today's episode is brought to you by our partners over at Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered the season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Blue Devils. I am on Twitter at underscore JJ underscore Jackson underscore. If you would, follow and subscribe for free wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five star rating and written review. That means a lot when you take the time to do that. We're on YouTube each and every day, so be sure to follow and subscribe over there. Share this video with your friends as we continue to grow in the video space. Proud to be a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As we get set for today's show, let me welcome in a good pal, Brendan Marks of The Athletic. It's been five or six weeks since we've got a chance to see Brendan on the program, to hear from him. And Brendan, the time is always greatly appreciated. I hope your summer is going well, my friend. Yes, absolutely. I can't complain. I, I got to say, by the way, you've got one of the best intro music segments of any podcast that I've been on. I, I hope that you have that on recorder and can just play it anytime you walk in a room because that it, is uh, it's pretty cool. When, when, when Dickie V tells you that you're awesome, baby, it, it can only lift the spirits. Like that's the only thing that can happen. And so, no, it's, it's, a, it's a cool thing to be able to go to. That's for sure. Uh, so we talk about everything going on right now in the world of college athletics and uh, conference realignment is, is such a real topic of conversation. It was this time last year uh, that, that with my radio show, with my career, I was at SEC Football Media Days when the news broke that Oklahoma and Texas was going to be joining the SEC and literally feet away from the commissioner, Greg Sankey, of the Southeastern Conference as this news is starting to break. And you wind forward 365 days and Within the past week, we've seen the USC and UCLA news. I mean, a lot of things are taking place. Tell me where you're at on, on all this change in college athletics. Yeah, you know, I think that, uh, you know, especially with the news of UCLA and USC going to the Big Ten, at this point we are, you know, if we're, if we're not already there, we're very rapidly moving into the era of super conferences. And, uh, you know, by far we are not settled with where everything is going to end up. I think that, you know, if you are one of the other conferences left standing, if you're the ACC, if you're the Pac-12, if you're the Big 12, especially the Pac-12, I mean, you've already been rated, <laughs> but you're trying to figure out, okay, how, how do we make ourselves viable in the long term? How do we survive? I mean, this is, I know it sounds dramatic and people will think, oh, there's no way that, you know, conferences like the ACC are just not going to exist anymore, but that, that is the reality of the situation that's facing them. And so um, I'll be fascinated to see where everybody shakes up. Uh, I think we could still have some more movement, you know, in the next couple of weeks here. I would expect that to be the case. But um, things are far from settled. And, and where they ultimately end up, I think, is with, you know, a lot of haves and, and unfortunately a lot more have-nots. I know this is major reporting that's taking place. And you got to look at TV deals that move the needle. And, and football is such a large revenue-generating sport but at a school like Duke, at a school like North Carolina that you covered, there's so much love and 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 uh, support for the basketball programs. A lot of finances go into that. When when you look at a school like Duke, why are they so interesting in all of this? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think that Duke is is probably along with like a Kansas would be one of the more interesting schools out there just because you do have on its face a top three basketball brand. And and let's not forget that in the grand scheme of things here, when we're talking about television contracts and we're talking about revenue being distributed, it's all about the brands. You don't necessarily have to have the on-field production or on-court production in the case of basketball to justify being included in one of these conferences. You know, you've heard uh, a lot about North Carolina, for example, which has not had a lot of success recently in football, is consistently winning, you know, anywhere from five to eight games. And yet, because of the national scope of that brand, they're seen as being more attractive than maybe their on-field results would, would suggest. Duke is an interesting case because with basketball, you do have that top three brand. And, and as we have seen with Duke television, Duke basketball, I'm talking about here, as we've seen with Duke's TV numbers the last couple of seasons, whenever Duke basketball is on TV, people are watching. I mean, Duke basketball, in terms of college basketball games, they're some of the best inventory out there. So... Uh, but then again, you have to look at the football side of things where is Duke bringing that same value where the, the revenue distribution they would be receiving from potentially joining one of these super conferences, is, is that commensurate to the value that they're bringing to that conference? And it's probably not at this point. Um, Duke and Nina King, especially since she's taken over as AD, is making investments in football, but the brand is not there by any means. The on-field product certainly is not there. And and so you're looking at sort of a program that, okay, on one side does offer you this elite basketball inventory. Um, and especially if, if this were to be a partnership move where Duke and North Carolina are going together, you're getting that rivalry and that, that rivalry is TV and Tory. It's incredibly, incredibly valuable. Um, but at the same time, the football piece of it has to make sense first. And that I think is what's hard for a lot of ACC stalwarts to get their heads around. They're so used to, even as late as the nineties, you know, basketball being King, um, it's just not the case anymore. I mean, the revenue in football is, is simply three times as much as it is in basketball. We'll obviously see how all this plays out, and, and a lot of big-time decision-makers have to make decisions. So many things are at play here. Uh, I know that they're student-athletes at the end of the day, and so uh, in some cases, academics want to become a thing for some people. I was on a radio show recently and asked uh, why Vanderbilt and Duke weren't more similar given that those schools have the academic rigors that they have. Uh, but for me, it was pretty plain and simple that when you look at revenue generating sports, football is king, basketball's right behind it, and Duke holds its own and almost carries the flag for the sport of college basketball. Yes, Vanderbilt has two or three national championships in baseball over the past few years, and they're doing really good things on the baseball diamond. But it, to me, they just don't move the needle in any other regards over there. They've got a great setup in the SEC, and I never thought I would bring up Vanderbilt in a conversation with you, Brendan. But here we are. I mean, these you're trying to find similar schools to Duke, and academically in the southeast where we're kind of all located, Vanderbilt could in a way be one of the most similar schools to where the Blue Devils are. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think, you know, as crazy as it sounds, and and some of some of what I'm about to say is why we're in the current predicament that we're in, where, where leagues are worried about potentially faltering and they're worried about being poached from. It's just a matter of where you are right now. It's just about the current composition of these leagues. And so uh, Vanderbilt, by getting on the current SEC media rights deal, it just happens to be in a great spot, whereas Duke, unfortunately, is tied to the ACC's grant of rights, which goes through 2036. And that is essentially the only thing that is keeping the ACC together right now. And uh, I would assume, and, and from what I have heard, it sounds like um, 
the the potential of the ACC's grant of rights being challenged in court as not being a valid contract, um, especially when you consider that the ACC is based in North Carolina, four of its charter members are based in North Carolina, the case would probably be seen in the state of North Carolina in a North Carolina court. Well, now you're talking about, okay, you've got a North Carolina court and you've got a North Carolina state legislature. Would they want to see you know, different universities within there be able to go out and receive, you know, in the case of going to the Big Ten, it's reported 100 plus million dollar annual revenue distribution. I mean, you're, you're talking about based on what the ACC got this year, about 36 million, a 64 plus million dollar difference. Um, <laughs> you, you would assume that the state legislature, it's crazy. I mean, the money is crazy, but you would assume the state legislature would want the universities within its, you know, within its border to go out and to be able to receive as much revenue as possible because that's obviously only going to boost their standing athletically and it's the trickle-down effect from where that money goes. So um, Duke to me is is really probably as fascinating a case as there is in this whole conference realignment picture because the disparity is so stark between basketball and football. But, um, you know, we, we talk about ba- football being the revenue king. If you're a conference like the Big Ten, for example, and you're potentially you have the football that you already have right now, but you're also going to add in the Duke North Carolina basketball rivalry. I mean, that sounds like a pretty good deal to me. That that sounds like something where uh, even though the football might not be there now, the investments are being made. You are taking a bit of a gamble. But uh, at that point, you're providing yourself television inventory basically for the whole year. And, and that's something that the networks are going to be attracted to. People are still going to watch basketball, even if it's just you and me. Now, I know a yeah. lot of people are always going to still be watching basketball. It's going to be awesome to uh, just – I want answers for a lot of this. I think everybody does. Uh, you want to know now what the what it's going to look like and and to not have all these things up in the air, the limit. The last two or three years, it's funny. We've been talking um, not, not on this show, but in the ACC, there's been conversations about relocating the headquarters from Greensboro and going to other places – and like you're saying, this is really real that you need to make sure you have a conference first before you start to worry about some of those other things in yeah. place. And I don't think we saw ourselves getting to this point. Unfortunately not. And I think, you know, you look at um, the, the the grant of rights in itself being extended in 2016 in conjunction with uh, the start of the ACC network and that being rolled out. That is really the the burden that has come back to bear. You know, the fact that that has been extended in such a long time out. The reason why you're able to see teams like Oklahoma and Texas and USC and UCLA jump when they are in the next, you know, three years, essentially, is because their respective conferences grant of rights are up. So that makes those moves viable. The ACC in that respect is is sort of in a little bit of a bind. Obviously, it wants to keep all of its schools in so that it can endure as a conference. But at the same point, if you're not letting any of those schools out, conference realignment is not going to sit here and wait for you. The rest of this is going to shape out, and the ACC is only going to fall further and further behind. You just wonder if it gets to the point where it's not financially feasible or viable for the ACC to continue operating as it currently is. And um, then at that point, it would just be a free-for-all and, and who's trying to get it, who's getting pulled up and who's getting pulled down. Well, let's go ahead and let's talk basketball. Let's kind of shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about the actual product on the floor that, again, we'll be viewing and, yeah. uh, and, and will be important for folks to invest in and that sort of thing. We'll do that in just a moment here on today's edition of Locked On Blue Devils. Our show today is brought to you by our good pals over at BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. You can find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's NHL playoffs and Major League Baseball. BetOnline is your continued source for all of the sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores, 
and it's the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. As we welcome you back into today's edition of Lockdown Blue Devils, JJ Jackson alongside Brendan Marks of The Athletic. Brendan, the last time we spoke, we were kind of going through the pre-draft process for Duke basketball, what the roster could look like, and uh, we saw five Duke Blue Devils hear their name called. Four in the first round, including Paulo Bantiro going number one overall, uh, and then five total players being drafted. It ended the Coach K era of draft picks, and he set records that, quite frankly, I don't know how anybody's going to be able to beat over a, over a coaching career or that sort of thing. But, uh, man, it was pretty special to see those guys see their NBA dreams come true from the Blue Devils this past year. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, just having gotten to know them over the course of the year and and even in the years leading up to when they get to Duke, you know, in the recruiting circuit and when they're committing and things, um, it's it's just really cool to see those guys get to that point. And, you know, I, I don't mind sharing just a, a little personal story here. I texted with um, – uh, Paolo Bancaro's parents um, after he was drafted. I just sent him a, a congratulatory note, you know what I'm saying? You know, wishing you guys nothing but the best or whatever. And um, it took probably three or four days for them to get back to me. And and the only thing they said was, and we've talked more since, but it's been a week. Uh, so, so you know, I, it's just really cool to see those guys who have dreamed about getting to this point finally get there. Um, you know, for someone like Wendell Moore, who came in and had some struggles, seeing them finally become a first round pick and be validated like that. It's just a very cool story. And, and again, it's it's confirmation of why people go to do right. Like the night of the NBA draft is as as good a night for Duke's brand as there is out there. It's the reason why John Shire's already got, you know, the number one class coming in this year. It's the reason he's so far ahead for the number one class next year. And um, as as long as Duke continues to have that sort of standing on draft night, they're going to continue to bring in the players they do, the talent they do, and, and continue to have a chance to compete for titles. I know there were probably several eye rolls when all of a sudden Paulo goes number one and you're watching the broadcast and Coach K has a personal message. And uh, there's probably only one coach in America that gets the opportunity to do something like that. But it was so special to see those guys, like you're saying, get drafted. A lot about Trevor Keels and his decision uh, whether to stay or go. And, and there was certainly a lot of good reporting out there Post-combine, I'm, I'm thinking particularly about the story you had at the Athletic, which was just so supreme in so many ways. And uh, unfortunately for Trevor, Duke was not able to have five first-round picks. He did fall to the second round, but is going to go to the New York Knicks, where he's going to see a pair of former Blue Devils and R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish. And uh, even Trevor Keels got to hear his name called. Yeah. And, you know, I think Trevor has an opportunity here. You know, I think uh, you, you mentioned the combine. He did not test well athletically at the combine, um, you know, was was not in terms of uh, measurables at the front of the leaderboard in any respect. You know, people wanted to see him lose a weight, wanted to see him better shape, wanted to see him run and test a little bit better. But at the end of the day, this is a guy who's one of the youngest players in the draft. And, and the Knicks are getting somebody who has proven in Madison Square Garden, no less, <laughs> uh, that he can take over a game against future pros. And so I, I think for Trevor, the, the steps to success at the next level are obviously getting his body right, making sure that he's maintaining that bigger, bulkier frame that, that enables him to play the, the tough on-ball defense he does without losing any of the quickness that he needs on some of those straight line drives to the basket. Um, I, I think also, you know, obviously the three-point shot, you know, the mechanically it looks good. There might be a little bit of over-rotation there, but um, 
I, I think, you know, if he can iron that out and if he really commits to being, you know, sort of a three and D guy, um, there's a role for him here. And, and I know that folks in New York are excited about him. I know they were excited to get him where they did. Um, and again, you know, for somebody who's as young as he is, there's still a lot of upside. There's still a lot of projecting to do in terms of growth. So, uh, Obviously, I, th- I know Duke would have loved to have had him go in the first round. He would have loved it too, but the opportunity is certainly there for him for him to grab. And um, you know, and any everybody in this era of basketball, especially at the NBA level, they need shot makers, they need defenders. He can do both those things when he's at his best. Brendan, here we are. It's our, our Friday, July eighth episode of Lockdown Blue Devils. So we are officially we've crossed the two week plateau for when the draft happened two weeks ago, and it's just now today in this moment that you allowed me to think about the fact that Trevor Keel's best performance was in Madison Square Garden. As I'm doing entire lead-up to the draft, if you want to turn on any game for Trevor Keel's, it's against Kentucky to start the year, and it was just now that it clicked for me that I was like, wait a minute, yeah, that's where the Knicks play. Right, exactly. So, And and l- listen, I've, I went back and I watched that game so many times in the pre-draft process and had scouts calling and asking about that game. He was sensational. I mean, sensational. He played bully ball. And, and I, I wonder so much about this. When a player has a performance like that in the first game of the season, how it changes expectations. Um, I think going into last year, everybody knew that Paolo Bancaro was going to be right. the guy. They knew A.J. Griffin, because of the injury, was going to need a little bit of time. You figure Wendell Moore was going to take some strides as a junior. Keels was sort of the unknown. Um, and the staff, you know, raved about him over the summer, but you don't really get to see it until that first game. So um, him performing the way he did created these sky-high expectations the rest of the season that I don't know that he met consistently, certainly did in flashes. But um, I'm always curious about if guys maybe don't have that incredible performance week one, if we give them a little more leeway or grace the rest of the season. But um, no, it's it, it's not a bad thing that the guy had his best performance of his college career where he's going to be now playing professionally. <laughs> no doubt about that. Well, let's start to turn our attention to next year's team that's likely to have a couple of guys who in one year's time will hear their name called on draft night and we'll kind of set up John Shire's first year as the head coach of the Blue Devils in just one moment. I want to tell you about our friends over at LinkedIn. As the sun comes out and small businesses are back in business, LinkedIn jobs make it easier to grow your team. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the people you want to interview faster and for free. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Everybody has a LinkedIn profile. Add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word and your hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questionnaires make it easy to focus on the right candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you would like to interview and hire. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Final segment here today on our edition of Locked On Blue Devils. My name is JJ Jackson alongside Brendan Marks of The Athletic. Brendan, you recently had a very well-deserved week of vacation and some time off and able to kind of reset, refocus, re-energize for the upcoming year and what that could entail and unfold. We know football season is right around the corner. You've got a ton of focus on the college hoops world as well. 
tell me a little bit about the athletic and kind of what's going on in your world. Yeah, absolutely. You know, obviously conference realignment is at the start of everything we're trying to do right now. It is the number one story in, in college athletics right now. It's where's everybody going to end up? Um, because, you know, for me, I'm a basketball guy first, first and foremost, and it's my passion and uh, obviously what I spend the bulk of my time doing. But at the end of the day, um, you know, basketball is sort of clinging along to the football ride at this point, just <laughs> seeing where everybody turns up. So um, it'll be interesting to see. You know, I do think that we're going to have more movement in the next couple of weeks here. So we'll be continuing to track that. And then for me, it's about starting to get into, OK, what what are we hearing about what's happening with guys in summer workouts? What are we hearing about? You know, this is the start of the the you know, busiest recruiting month of the year, who's getting offers, who's getting commitments, you know, who's doing that sort of thing. Obviously Duke's in a really good place with this 2023 class already, but still have a few more room to add a couple of guys, um, 11 new faces to this year's roster. There's going to be a lot again next year. It's just sort of the way the beast works. But uh, so trying to keep track of all those things, people always say that the summer is sort of a dead period, but at this point, you know, given the way the college athletics is always moving and shaking, it's not. So um, we'll, we'll start to have more camp reports coming out. We'll hear what guys are doing. Um, some encouraging things, I think out of Duke's, you know, summer workouts already, especially as they relate to Jeremy Roach. And uh, you know, we'll go from there. The athletic is worth every penny. I, I love reading it each and every day for your work for it, it, here in the state of North Carolina. Uh, let's give some love to Joe Person and the Panthers have a new quarterback coming in and Baker Mayfield and just you can get all of that with just one subscription uh, to know everything that there is to know about your favorite teams. And so uh, I definitely want to talk about the summer right now for Duke men's hoops because the roster is now in place. You mentioned recruiting for 2023. The biggest shift in what the roster could look like this upcoming season was that Tyrese Proctor has reclassified and he's going to come into school a year earlier, which means Yes, you do have an opportunity to bring in another player to what was already the number one recruiting class in 2023. But tell me about Tyrese Proctor, Brendan, and why this is so significant. Yeah. So, you know, as I understand it, this is a move that was in the works even before Trevor Keels made his final NBA draft decision. You know, I think John Shire looked at the rest of the state of his roster and said, OK, you know, we need we need more backcourt depth. I, it's great that I'm getting Jeremy Roach back. It's Jalen Blakes was a really good developmental guy for us last year. He'll, he'll probably challenge for some backup minutes this year. But um, regardless of what Trevor Keels was going to do, there was a little bit of uncertainty at that other that other guard spot. And so uh, in comes Tyrese Proctor. He's a guy who is already a little bit older for his class. He'll if in theory, you know, this is projecting ahead. But um, if he has a sensational freshman year, he will should be eligible for the draft next year. So this is a guy who's coming in. He can really play both backcourt spots. You know, he's he's a true combo. He's someone who is known for his three-point shooting. Um, you know, obviously, he's coming out of the NBA Global Academy in Australia. They have uh, a penchant and a pedigree for producing guys who are ready to contribute. So I think that this is a situation where you're talking about a guy who may not be an every single game starter for the Blue Devils, but he is at worst going to be a sixth man. Um, I think that he and, and transfer Jacob Grandison, who I'm sure we'll talk about in a second, I think those two guys are sort of in that competition for the last starting spot being the sixth man. Um, I'd expect them both to see, you know, 20, 25 minutes a game. They're both going to be huge pieces of what Duke does. But for Proctor especially, it's the defense, it's the basketball IQ, it's the three-point shooting, and it's the versatility. It's somebody else in addition to Jalen Blakes and Jeremy Roach who's comfortable with the ball in his hands initiating offense. Um, as we saw last year with Duke, not really a true point guard. That'll be a little bit different this year just because of Jeremy Roach. His usage is going to be much higher. But um, you also have to factor in what, what does John Shire want to do offensively? You know, how does he want to attack things? Is he going to do, you know, is he going to run most of the same sets that Coach K did? Is he going to incorporate some new tendencies, some new play styles? 
Um, and, and I think that when you're talking about a guy like Proctor, it just gives them the versatility to do a lot of different things. And also, you know, if you can send one more guy to the draft next year, then, hey, that, that looks a little bit better for your first season. Yes, it does. And, and to think about what Tyrese Proctor does on the floor, uh, to think about the, as you said, the great playing experience that he's had already in his career, getting to come from Australia now factor in is great. You mentioned it. You set yourself up. Jacob Grandison is sort of the last moving piece here. Started at Holy Cross, played two seasons at Illinois an elite three-point shooter in every percentage that you want to look at from this past season. Tell me about this move for Duke. Yeah, you know, this This is, you know, again, John Shire checking boxes. You know, the two things that this Duke roster really didn't have, at least that you weren't sure about, were experience, A, which shouldn't be shocking because there was basically two <laughs> players coming back, uh, especially after Joey Baker's late entrance to the transfer portal. You were really looking at a young, young team without any experience. Um, so Grandison fills that void. He turned 24. You know, he's a grown man. Yeah. Uh, he turned 24 in April, I believe. So he's a guy who's played a lot of college basketball games, I think 124 in his career. And and like you said, you know, obviously the three-point shooting is huge. You know, I, per synergy, um, he was in the, you know, I think top 15% nationally uh, in terms of being a three-point spot-up shooter, especially from the corners. He's a plus 50% three-point shooter in those areas. It's not hard to imagine him camping out in the corners and, you know, Jeremy Roach driving and dishing to him. Um, I don't think that he is coming in to be a star. I think that he knows that. I think he's coming in to be a role player. He's coming in to space the floor around Roach and, and the number of front court guys that, that John Shire brought in. Um, to me, sort of a perfect role player. Gives you experience, sets the tone, gives you a lot of versatility defensively. He's 6'6", 210, so you know, it's not unfair to expect that he can switch one through four. Um, you know, just sort of is the ideal role player for what otherwise was going to be a really young team. So uh, he, he's a guy that I know a lot of Illinois fans have reached out to me about and said, you're going to love this guy. So um, I think Duke fans got a pretty good a pretty good get late in the portal season here. It was pretty real for me because you said it was late in the portal season when J Jacob Grandison makes the decision to come over. There was a lot of A.J. Green conversation from uh, Northern Iowa and where his next step could be Malachi Smith, another top transfer that ultimately goes to Gonzaga. It was real when Grandison commits at the same time that the NBA Finals are taking place and we're seeing a Duke star in Jason Tatum at 24 years old doing what he's doing on basketball's biggest stage. And, Brendan, I'm sitting there like, wait a minute, Jacob Grandison is from the same <laughs> high school class. Like, they're the same age and in yep. two just completely different walks in their basketball life right now. It's crazy. It's crazy. But but and that's the thing. You know, I think we have seen, especially the last couple of years in college basketball, like what Duke did last year in having the freshman that it did play such a big role in Bancaro and, and A.J. Griffin, Trevor Keels. Like that's that's the exception to the rule. That's not the norm. You know, we have seen more experienced teams winning. We saw Gonzaga and Baylor last year championship game. You see North Carolina and Kansas. For Duke to get where it got with its relative lack of experience is pretty remarkable. So bringing in a guy like Grandison, again, it just just sort of sets the tone for you. It's somebody who can teach you how to work. You know, he's somebody who you're looking about uh, a Derek Whitehead, uh, a Proctor. Um, he's going to be able to show those guys, okay, here's here's how it works at this level. He's had success at a high major conference. I, I sort of look at him as being a little bit more impactful version of what Duke has in the front court with Ryan Young. You know, a guy who has been there who's going to fill that Theo John role, who's going to give you, you know, eight to 10 backup minutes a game, and who's really going to challenge you and get you better in practice. That's what Grandison's going to do. I just think he's going to offer a little bit more in the court just because of his three-point value. 
Brendan, always a joy to catch up with you and to talk all things Duke basketball and what's going on in the offseason and, again, continuing to read your work. We know that so much is shifting now in college athletics uh, and what a fun time it is. As we said, the start of the Mike Elko era this fall and then John Shire quickly after that. Thank you once again for uh, always being a friend to me and being on the show uh, many times, and it's not going to be your last visit. So thanks again for the time today. Absolutely. You don't have to thank me. I enjoy coming on. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we're going to talk very, very soon. There's a lot to talk about. Be well, Brenda. Thanks for the time here today. You as well. Take care. Get some get some vacation, please. Yes, <laughs> I need that. Need that for sure. That's my pal, Brendan Marks, joining us on today's edition of Locked on Blue Devils. Thanks for watching. We'll be back on Monday with a brand new show for you. As always, go Duke. We'll talk to you on Monday. I'll see you then. Thank you and good day.